Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the podcast with me, Steve Richards. Well, not much has happened since we last got together about a week ago. Thank goodness some of what has happened has happened. For those of you who uh, have just joined this never-ending drama in terms of my podcast last week, I was saying that um, it was crazy to advise people to social distance and do all these kind of things while all the pubs and restaurants were still open. Uh, And then on Monday, Boris Johnson in his number 10 press conference again advised people not to go to pubs or theatres and things like that, but didn't instruct people not to do so or instruct these places to close down. I remember saying in the last episode that... um, It was such an interesting comparison with the smoking ban that the Labour government introduced in that new Labour era. In fairness to Johnson, Blair agonised over that as well. I remember him once saying to me, look, the the people gave us permission to do it, actually. So he was nervous. He waited until it looked as if there was consent for compulsion. But anyway, it was one of the measures that will have saved lives and the NHS a ton of money without costing anything at all by compelling people not to smoke in public places. Whereas I suspect Boris Johnson being instinctively a kind of libertarian figure would have, in an equivalent situation, at best advised people not to smoke in public places like it's not cool anymore not not fashionable not that, yeah, yeah. but wouldn't have ever compelled and therefore would have made very little difference and it's interesting in the alight of what was advice until it became compulsory for restaurants and all the rest of it to close the numbers certainly in london i'm told elsewhere who ignored the advice and went drinking in pubs that were still open or ate at restaurants or went for coffee in crowded cafes and all the rest of it. And it's so interesting, people's sense of their own kind of unique immortality in some cases. But in other cases, a kind of, oh, we're going to defy what the government says. It's kind of almost like the Brexit phenomenon, those idiots in London telling us what to do. We'll do the opposite. But I also think there's another reason that this happens, that a lot of people just do not read, watch the news and all the rest of it and have only a vague idea of what the hell's going on. And that's why compulsion is so important and was finally done on Friday. But what a lost period we had in the UK. The advantage of a few weeks of seeing what was happening in the nightmare of Italy and the space to adapt accordingly by compelling people not to gather in public places and also to prepare as much as you can to get these ventilators in place or at least order them to be very proactive in advance. But the degree to which that happened, I think when some mega inquiry happens when this is all over, when, who knows when that will be or whether what over means, We'll have to look back at many, many different themes, but the micro theme of what Boris Johnson was up to uh, in Chequers when he disappeared for 10 days from public view when this first kind of hit the UK and many other things. Uh, This is a 
a bizarre combination of an old government, it's now in its fourth term, but a new one because it's inexperienced. The people who were selected were both behind the scenes and as cabinet ministers were largely done so because of their passion for Brexit and their capacity to campaign with great enthusiasm for Brexit. They weren't chosen for their weightiness. Indeed, uh, Johnson has purged his parliamentary party of many of those weighty figures, people with great experience in government departments. I think it would have been good if Rory Stewart had been around, if Hammond had been around, and these people with experience. And there was also an interesting contrast when Gordon Brown popped up at uh, 10 past 8 one day on the Today programme and did what he always did, which is to not only show a mastery of detail, but also an awareness of how each policy decision connects with another. And it was a very thorough interview. And I found that so interesting in itself as a sort of incidental sideline to this nightmare, which was that um, loads of commentators who had vilified him towards the end of his period as a chancellor and all the way through as prime minister. Why don't they get rid of him? Why don't they have a coup? And there were attempts at coups. And I was like, they're absolutely marvellous, Gordon Brown, total command. What a tragedy he's not in charge of the country at this moment of dire need. And God, how perspectives change. And his handling of the 2008 crisis was a model of how you grasp the huge significance at the earliest possible moment although actually he struggled to some extent when Northern Rock nearly crashed in the summer of 2007 an early warning of the 2008 crash he was very wary of nationalizing Northern Rock because of that fear of being seen as going back to the 1970s and predictably Cameron and Osborne that duo hailed by so many wrongly as centrists and modernizers accused when Brown did nationalize Northern Rock they had a joint press conference saying this is reckless outrageous a return to the 1970s I heard Osborne the other day admitting they got that completely wrong there will be a point I suspect when he has to admit he got his response to the austerity his response which was austerity his response to the crash badly wrong as well but that's all for another time but how interesting that now Gordon Brown is recognized as a master of detail and a weighty capacity to see the connections and in this crisis there are so many connections it is so multi-layered in its complexity now on one level it's not Johnson's fault that he is deeply inexperienced. It is a bleak coincidence that he's been Prime Minister for only a few months when something on this scale erupts. And it's not his fault that the people he appointed were largely to do with their ideological commitment to Brexit and to him. But nonetheless, that is where we are. And Brown was fortunate. He was unlucky in many ways as Prime Minister. No one, not even his most profound enemy, could accuse him of having a lucky time. But he was lucky with the financial crisis, and the UK was lucky 
that he had been Chancellor for 10 years and had built up an understanding of economic policy and had a range of contacts around the world. He knew who to phone. One of the things which I found bizarre about some of the mediocrities attempting a coup against Brown and putting in or planning to put in number 10 people who wouldn't have known where to turn in the midst of that economic turmoil would not have had any of that experience they were trying to get rid of someone who had all that experience so in that sense brown was lucky he had the background to be in command of a nerve-shredding international financial crash this is much more serious than that in my view comparisons are being made but this is a matter of health and economics and the combination of the two and the limits to what levers can be pulled by governments when this virus spreads makes it, I think, a bigger crisis on many fronts than the financial crash. And there's Boris Johnson, who got the prime ministership with his approach to Brexit. Interestingly, again, I think at times, relying on the kind of language he used for Brexit at these press conferences. We're, we're going to get this thing done. We're going to we're going to get this thing done. We're going to get on top of it within three months. There is an imprecision sometimes about his language in the press conferences. Now there is nothing hugely to be precise about because no one, of course, knows when this is going to end. Therefore, I thought it was odd to strike such an optimistic note in one of his press conferences this week, but in a way that was imprecise. What did he mean? We'll get on top of it in three months. And at times he is clearly struggling. So although it is true that the government has been following medical advice, the kind of libertarian instinct to be much lighter in telling people what to do was evidently political. And that, thankfully, now has, to some extent, been reversed by the end of last week. But the other really interesting, almost politically cultural development in all of this is the emergence of an entirely different view of government and the state. Uh, In the UK since 1979, there has been a sort of broad background to policy making, which is that government gets in the way of things, and public spending is a waste of money. And this even applied to Theresa May, who went into the disastrous 2016 election, disastrous from her point of view, 2017, the referendum was was at 2016, getting lost with all these seismic events, 2017. She was going around saying the good that government can do, but she then famously said when nurses and teachers were explaining to her in various kind of audience events during that election that they were still struggling with the consequences of the austerity economic policies, the real-term spending cuts. She went around saying there's no magic money tree. Well, they found one hell of a lot of trees, a whole forest of magic money trees, in an attempt to get us through this economically in the coming months. Absolutely right that they did so. It is a shame that the economic package wasn't announced when Johnson advised people not to go to pubs and all the rest of it. So 
pubs and restaurants were in this awkward position of not quite knowing whether to stay open or close and get rid of staff because at that point no economic package had been unveiled. But in the end, they did unveil it and it involves huge, huge sums of money yet again, making the budget, which appeared to be generous and interventionist, seem puny, which made the first set of economic emergency measures seem puny. Hundreds of billions are going to be spent on all of this through borrowing. And we automatically turn to government at these times. We don't say, oh, let us all just get on with it. We need the guidance of government. We don't turn to, I don't know, a virgin. Oh, I know what we should do. Richard Branson will sort this out. Let the government not get involved. And so it turns on its head all the assumptions that have shaped kind of economic debate in the United Kingdom, really, as I say, since 1979. And it is, uh, as some remarked after Sunak's economic package on Friday, they basically nationalised pay for many workers in this country. The government is now their income providers. Uh, This is extraordinary. And I think will have permanent consequences in the way government is viewed, as indeed after the war, which ended in 1945, there was a new view about the potential of the state. And this is so, so interesting when, you know, the likes of Corbyn and MacDonald were regarded as these dangerous revolutionaries, to have Rishi Sunak rightly praised for his command of detail and his capacity to spend in a way that makes McDonnell seem miserly in comparison. But it is that wider issue of the potential of the state. And already, I think, you can see some of the more micro consequences of the politics of all of this. If you think about the government's priorities before this virus struck, it was first of all driven by the anger of Dominic Cummings. Cummings is an angry revolutionary. He doesn't like institutions and without having clear ideas of what the consequences of his actions will be, he wanted to take them on. So pre the virus, the newspapers were briefed that the BBC was finished, they were going to sort that one out and take the BBC on. No minister would appear on the Today programme. Now ministers are expressing gratitude that the BBC is reporting this in a responsible way, as well as providing alternative forms of entertainment with the iPlayer and all kinds of other things. And the idea now that whoever was briefing Cummings or anyone else at number 10, that they could start slagging off the BBC is absurd. And that's changed so quickly. The civil service was another target. And by the way, all these institutions uh, should be subjected to scrutiny and reform. That The assumption that they are Rolls-Royce is, is wrong, but Cummings just makes too many leaps in his shallow anger. And uh, the civil service now is working 24 hours a day. The Treasury, I'm told, working kind of through the night to get the latest economic emergency package together. And again, the idea that you can start briefing these hopeless civil servants, we need misfits and weirdos to come in and sort them out, is again absurd. So 
a lot of that Cummings agenda and the tone of this government of a kind of impatient, angry swagger just does not work any longer in the context of this emergency, an emergency that will now define it. And it seems to me impossible that the Brexit talks can end in December in a kind of weird but wholly, when you think about it, understandable twist. I think the British negotiator David Frost has got the symptoms of this bloody virus. So has Barnier. Well, Barney has got it. And, you know, some of the kind of really hardline Brexiteers, oh, is it, uh, carry on, just carry on, you know, uh, Francois, uh, carry on, get, they can do it all through Skype, you know, why they don't need to meet each other, we can get this thing done. Johnson's interesting, he's using a sort of holding phrase that uh, legislation is in place, as if that is an answer. Of course, he knows it's not an answer because the legislation allows for an extension. But again, one of the consequences of this seismic period we're living through is that he cannot get this thing done brexit by december it was utterly reckless ever to do it to to use impatience as the criteria rather than the quality of a trade deal which takes time to be done properly so Already, you can see some of those micro consequences, but the broader, long-term consequences of these periods of isolation, people working from home, the uh, end of travel, the end, for now, of public events, um, for no one quite sure how long. I suspect in the end it's going to be until they find a vaccine for this thing. It's going to have a profound impact on us all in kind of all kinds of different ways. There will be some good things coming out of this. The world was moving at a crazy pace, and that pace now is being called into question. Some will discover the joys of reading and listening to music that uh, they would never have had the time to do. If we're allowed out, and they're not allowed out in some of the lockdown places, the joy of walking and fresh air and jogging. I've noticed a lot more people jogging where I am. I start the day with a with a run, and uh, it's, it's, it's like the M1 out there. In fact, it's probably worse than being in a gym, which they finally closed. But you know what I mean. Th- th- these are kind of good things that people will discover about themselves and their capacity to develop interests beyond the kind of things that are thrown at them around the clock. Four live football matches, you know, on on Sky and BT Sport and then going off to watch Spurs as I sometimes, I, I did, I didn't watch the four other matches, did watch Spurs, that's one blessing of all of this, that doesn't have to carry on and there will be ways in which home working proves to be a very efficient way of delivering in some forms obviously not for those who work in the NHS and schools and many other places where you have to physically be together in a building but I was very conscious when I've worked in sort of big organizations like the BBC the amount of time wasted by, you know, some of those managers in never-ending meetings which never had to take place and some of the other things that um, used to go on, people maybe discover that there are different ways of working which will be fruitful in the years to come. But in the meantime, we all have to get through this and getting through it is not at all clear, which is why I think 
Boris was wrong to say we threw the worst of it in three months or whatever he said. And it will be tough for everybody and it will be tough for the government. I've noticed that I've kind of started tweeting my frustration at things like Johnson's libertarianism and not closing things down earlier and not being more proactive. This is a government that doesn't understand the levers that you need to pull to get things done, partly because they are too new, partly because they aren't by instinct uh, well they are more status than the sort of Cameron and Osborne era by miles but not yet equipped to understand what that means in practice they announce things that are status but to deliver is wholly different when Johnson was mayor of London he inherited a lot of schemes that Livingston Ken Livingston had put in place Livingston was good at knowing which levers to pull to actually to use that phrase again get things done and I've kind of tweeted my frustration at the time wasted, the vital, valuable time wasted when not enough was done. But I do acknowledge that this is beyond tough. And if I've tried to explain in this podcast at times why, for example, Blair isn't a war criminal in relation to Iraq, he made a terrible series of miscalculations in his desire to be at one with the United States and appear tough on defence, unlike Labour leaders from the 1980s. But that's different from being a war criminal. I will also say that Johnson faces more towering challenges than any Prime Minister since his hero, Churchill. And that will be, at times, overwhelming for someone, even if in the past they have not shown a capacity for compassion as a public figure it will be an enormously stressful time and they are right to hold these daily press conferences and they responded with a couple of detailed economic packages over the last 10 days or so that are significant Uh, they're going to have to do more but they know that as well So who knows where we'll be by the next rock and roll politics. I might start doing these twice a week because this is fast moving, although I think the politics of it are in place and the health implications, I fear, we know from what has happened in Italy and so on. But let's see if um, the measures finally to stop people gathering in public places do make a difference we won't know that for a couple of weeks at least but let's really really hope they do there's that flirtation with that kind of talk of herd immunity and so on much better that's out of the window and it's now about suppressing this with profound economic implications of course but um I don't think there's any other way through it. Anyway, weird, weird times. The title of this as a show, as a live show, was Politics All Shook Up um, when it all started rock and roll politics. And I think that was in the era of innocence, the sort of early coalition period, which looked shook up because Cameron and Clegg were working together in an unsurprisingly close way. But this really is a world shook up. So... Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And let's all get together via this safe form of communication. Me stuck in a room in splendid isolation. 
and um, it's a good way of keeping going in these tough times. Thanks for listening. See you soon.